Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the co-founder and CEO of Chorus, which can be, yes. and I'm going to spell that because it's an unusual spelling, C-O-U-R-U-S, yes. and that can be found at Chorus, C-O-U-R-U-S dot A-I. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Give us a little bit of backstory to get us started. Who are you? Let's start off with who you are. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I'm a SoCal guy. Um, I live today in Newport uh, Beach, California. Look, I, I uh, you know, as a young guy, I went to, to college down in San Diego, uh, University of San Diego. And in my my junior year, um, I was on a fraternity trip down in Mexico, got in this crazy car accident, um, two brain hemorrhages and, and ended up dropping out of school while I was recovering. And while I did, a funny thing happened. Um, my roommate came in and said, my dad thinks you should listen to this and gave me a motivational book on tape. And before I knew, you knew it, I had a library. And as I got better, I decided I wanted to go back to college and an intern for anybody I listened to. And the first person I applied to intern for was Tony Robbins. Wow. And I was offered a job. And so I started working for, for Tony Robbins Research when I was 20. I think he was 30. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was, it was cool. It was really early on and had the chance to work for, for that group and for Jim Rohn and promote Les Brown and some of the kind of the bigger personal development speakers at that time shifted into, to, uh, tech in my, my mid twenties. I was really early in consumer internet, um, was in leadership roles, startup teams of what became cbssports.com, NBC internet, uh, launched foxsports.com with Ross Levinson, then started a company like Expedia for private jets that I sold to Virgin ran for Richard Branson in that group for a couple of years. And, um, you know, I just think more than anything else, I'm super passionate about entrepreneurship and creating companies and businesses and environments where everybody wins. And what are you doing today? So today I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of Chorus. And Chorus is an AI and machine learning company that helps creators build really the most powerful online courses on the planet. And and the reason that we do is, is we focus on tackling the biggest problem in e-learning, which is this, it's low completion rates. Yeah, we were talking about that. It, it's crazy. So last year, over $300 billion was spent on online courses, but the average course completion rate is only 3.1%. Why is that? Well, it's 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 crazy. Um, the, the main reason is that when you take a look at kind of what motivates people to, to come to class or come to a course and ascend and complete, the motivation factors are super obvious when you're offline. So like, if you go to college, like, you know, I'm, I'm here in Southern California, let's say it was at USC or UCLA or USD, um, you know, I'm paying tuition. And, and so there's pressure, there's financial pressure on for, for me to come to class and to finish a course and, and move on. Um, 
you know, I, I want to get a job that creates motivation for me to, to, to complete. Um, I might have to go to class in order to ask the teachers questions, or if I'm bored in class, I might want to get up, but everyone looks at me and there's social pressure to sit down. And the thing is, none of those motivational factors apply when we're online. And so what happens is people build stuff that they think people, the other people, learners should learn or need to learn. And they're not building what they want to learn. And what we've been able to do through this AI and machine learning and behavioral science is really help people identify what is it, you know, who their target learner is, and, and, and what is going to motivate them to ascend and complete a course. And, you know, we're seeing completion rates around 65% right now. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge delta. It, so how... how... <laughs> now you got my attention being an online course creator myself yeah uh, what is, what is it that your system does that gets that that massive change well the first thing that we do is we listen see now right? you're now you're, now you're talking <laughs> my language <laughs> because like i said what happens is is most people and i'm talking about colleges i'm talking about you know uh corporations i'm talking about skills-based trainers you know, they're building, again, what they know or what they think someone should learn, not necessarily what they want to learn. What we do is we find out who your target learner is. Who do you believe your target learner is? I would then, say, if I were to answer that question, I'd say every human on the planet needs to learn what I teach. Needs to learn. What, okay. But let's say you were building a very specific course, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right, right. And, and so, and, and by the way, I agree. Everybody needs to learn what it is that you teach and how to have hard conversations and how to create peace and all that kind of stuff is so important. And, and so what we do is we find out who, who the customer thinks their target learner is. And then what we do is we go out on the internet and we find where that customer is, or that target learner is spending their time huh. and they're having open and honest conversations, communities chat forums, certain websites, social media. And we pull literally tens of thousands of direct quotes. And with those quotes, we start to identify patterns and we put those into a model. And so we'll start with tens of thousands of quotes as an example, and we'll come up with the most common 150 things that people are saying. We put that into a model. And we do sympathy and we do empathy analysis and sentiment analysis. And then we put that into it. So at the end of the day, what we're able to tell you is exactly who your target learner is, not who you think they are. What that target learner wants to learn, not what you think they have to learn and why. And then we teach you exactly how to structure your course as a result for e-learning completion. That is amazing. And of course, you're able to do it because you've got AI out there do, combing, the, combing the internet for all the data and making sense well, of it. Yeah, so here, here's what's crazy. So um, my co-founder, Joe, Joe DeMaria, he ran a process. He's been in e-learning for, for over a decade. Um, about eight years ago, he became obsessed with solving this problem around completion rates. And he developed this behavioral science that he started using back then. And 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 over time, he's refined it. Now, let's say it takes Joe and his team three people a month in order to come to the conclusions that we come to. Today, we're able to do that with one person in 15 seconds. <laughs> it's incredible. 
<laughs> it's it's really incredible. Yeah. I, I know. I mean, I've been playing around with ChatGPT and I've gotten some amazing results from it. Yeah. I mean, chat chat GPT is incredible. But again, when when we go, if we go back to listening, right. What's interesting about Chat GPT is you have a lot of people that are building companies on top of Chat GPT by simply pulling data. Right. So they'll 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 want to write uh, an article or they'll want to write a course or they'll as, as examples. And what Chat GPT can do is provide general information back. And what's happening? So I call that fast content, and and a lot of it is awesome. But what happens is. Because that content isn't connected to the listener. I got it. What we believe is going to happen over the next four or five years is you're going to see completion rates really drop as a result. Because the content won't be aligned with the user's motivation. Yeah, the chat, the, anything generated by ChatGPT is simply a reflection of the interrogatories put in yeah. by the user. And that's the point that you're making. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, so you've got this system where somebody comes to you and says, I got this idea for a course, help me with it. They go in, the analysis is done. And then all of a sudden you get a sense that there's a market there. Or there isn't a market there. Hmm. That's, that's huge. And then you, yeah. all of a sudden you, 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 you understand how a course should be structured to hmm. meet the desires of the market. That's right. And then we have other products where we can actually write it and optimize it for you when it's up and th things like that. But but the key the key thing, because your question was, why are completion rates so low? And the simple answer is people aren't listening. That's right. The, the creators are not listening to the. To the That's right. So they're not creating something that is emotionally compelling to the student. You know, it's like. I had a conversation a couple of years ago with Gary Vee and we were talking about, I asked him the question, I said, what do you think the biggest, what's the biggest problem that entrepreneurs have today? Like the biggest mistake that they make today. And he looked at me and he didn't hesitate. He said, they disrespect the market. And I said, what does disrespect the market mean to you? And he said, what they do is they have an idea and then they go in their room and they go and they build it, build it, build it. And then they put it out there and then they, they wonder why it doesn't do well. And the reason is they haven't asked anyone, right? They haven't asked the market what it wants and how they want right. it. Right. This is a really common problem. Yeah. You know, I, know, I know that it, when I wrote my fourth book, Deescalate, I, I had made that mistake with my first three books. They're great, yeah. books, right? Yeah. But they didn't do, they didn't, commercially, they were failures. Deescalate's de de been successful. But mm -hmm. that's what I did. I went out into the market and did a lot of research before I started yeah. writing it. And, and as a result of that, I think because the book the book has done very well. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that, that's awesome. Um, so what kind of what kind of people come to uh, Chorus? Well, so we talked to, yeah, so our customers are colleges and universities, they're corporate learning and development departments, uh, skills-based trainers, really anyone that, that wants to build a course. And what we find, like to be the most exciting is the pace. Like I've been around, you know, you know, the first, I guess, internet company I was a part of founding was back in 1994. The internet became commercial in October of 94 around then. And it was about two months later that we started our first one. Been around this forever. But the thing that is really amazing is when you take a look at how fast the AI is learning and you take a look at, at tools like Langchain and you take a look at, at, at these communities or these open source communities where, where, where developers are contributing, like 
the speed at which this stuff is moving is just it's mind-blowing you know there's a lot of people saying this is worrisome what do you think so I think that I think that, for example, AI is gonna is gonna you know put to rest a lot of a lot of jobs, a lot of. But I think it's also going to create a it's ton be, of new jobs. It's as well. be like everything else, it's going to be very disruptive. It's be very disruptive, and I think that when things are disruptive, it's like what we have to do is what, what a lot of people do is they get on their heels, right, and they're afraid of it, and, and we have to get on our toes. Like, so when I, when I was young, my family was in the um, we were in the gra- engraving business. So most people today, like especially young kids, won't know what that is. But basically, think of it as the printing printing business. And 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 my great grandfather started a company, and they made ads for magazines and and billboards, and and that was before computers. And, and there was this incredible craft around creating that stuff. These tradesmen and women that with sticks and glue and pictures would assemble these ads, and, and they would make them, and then they would be printed. It was incredible. So when I started working in the business, I was, I was probably about about nineteen. You know, it was it was, it was you no, know, it was after college. So so my early twenties, I worked in it for a little bit. And the way you made money in that industry was you would have a, a basically, let's say, an ad that you created. An agency would give you a bunch of pictures. They throw it in a box and say, "Make this thing," and you do it. And you take it back to the agency, and they would look at it. And they'd say, move this there, make this color a little different, move things around. All your money was in corrections. Wow. All about corrections. So here's the thing. When I was working for the company, it got its first Mac. (laughs) The Mac came out and there was no place to put it. And on one side of the building was where where, where the, the sales was and the customer service. On the other side was where they made everything, production. And there was a hall in between. And they had no place to put this guy. So they literally put a desk with a Mac on it in the hall that people used to walk down. And it was crazy because some people would look at it and it was like they would pretend it wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) And other people would be like, hey, that's super cool. And so, so, and people who were like super cool, a couple of them went out and they started like, the first like digital agencies that did digital printing with a Mac and, and, and the other people, many of them were put out of business in like under five years. And so I think that it's just really important with technology and with something like, like AI to really just get on your toes and, and, and not on your heels and, and it's going to put you in a better position. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So what is it that gets you excited every morning, get out of bed and go to work? Besides living in beautiful Newport Beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, I mean, it, it's going to sound, you know, really corny and stuff like that. I think uh, it's my kids that motivate me more than anything. Yeah. I have a 13 and 14 year old daughter. So, so that's really cool. I think that though, I, I really believe though, from, from a business standpoint, what really excites me is that I believe that by helping more people to complete, to complete courses, certifications, articles, things like that. I think we have the opportunity to change the lives of the welfare of millions of people all around the world because it starts with completion. It starts with like getting the, getting the thing. Right. And, and what's really exciting is I was raised thinking there was like one path to success. I was taught, I had to get good grades in grammar school, 
good grades in high school, to get into a good college, to get a good job. And today, we have so many options. And I think that what's exciting about tomorrow, this is what really excites me, is that that companies, corporations, are going to play a much bigger role in education. And here's what I mean. What I mean is this. If I were to be a video game developer, I don't need to go to a four-year college. I can go to Amazon Academy, or I'm sorry, Activision Academy for video game development and get a certification, right? For me, it's a win. I'm learning exactly what I want to learn. For them, they're building their future workforce. If I want to be a, if I want to be a social media manager, go to TikTok Academy for social media manager management. If I want to get into video production, go to like Twitch Academy for video production. So I think that I think that the barrier to entry to get great education for something that we really want to do and we really love is 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 gonna it's gonna be wiped away. Right. And I think that's like that excites me. I wonder how traditional four-year institutions, two and four-year institutions, undergraduate schools are, are, are going to roll with all of this? Well, so we work with them every day. Uh -huh. And it's so it's, it's interesting because there's clearly like, um, especially since COVID, a huge transition in their focus to online, to online learning. But I think that in the same, I think that in the education space, no one is really certain and I think a lot of people are fearful about what it's going to look like in five years that that are big players like in 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 the space, in the industry, in the category. So, for example, if everyone can make a course on ChatGPT, then what's the value of a course anymore? Right. You know, is there a different kind of way in the same way that TikTok, right, changed the way that people liked, especially young people like to view content? in these short snippets and with video, mm -hmm. is there a new way or a new, uh, like a new format for education that we, we just don't know of yet that's going to emerge? But I believe this. I believe this more than anything. I believe that in the next 10 years, the biggest online company in the entire world is going to be an education company, and nobody's heard of it yet. Really? Yes. Well, it may, you know... In a way, it makes sense to me. We're seeing uh, uh, the failing of our public educational institutions mm. for a bunch of different reasons. And it's, there's been a decline going on for many, many years. I've taught law for 30 years, and I'm the chair of our local law school. And, and I mean, we, we are constantly moaning about the fact that young people coming into law school are illiterate, literally. Mm. Really teach them remedial writing and reading, yeah. uh, <laughs> which in my day was, <laughs> no, I mean... You hit the ground running, yeah. uh, and I really do think that that and th and that raises another thought. During the pandemic, you know, we all had to pivot, and in the law school world, we were talking about well, what's going to happen to law school? Why would you have yeah. a order school when you could take a contracts course and listen to contracts lectures from the greatest professors at Harvard? Yeah, and you know, Harvard could broadcast this stuff. You may not get a Harvard degree, but you get the you know you get the education. And, and uh, so, I think you're right. I think that education is going to the barrier to education is going to go away. Yeah, it can be delivered to anybody who has a tablet or a smartphone or a computer, and and there'll be a cost associated with it, but the cost will be picked up in many different ways. And I think, and, and, and to add to what you're saying, I think another thing that's hard. It's gonna it's gonna be hard is when when developing 
curriculum. And, and because we have these models that have been in place for so long, right? right? We have institutions that are so deeply entrenched. Look, my 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 young girls, when I went to school, it was all about memorization. All right. And my girls laugh at memorization. They're like, why do we have to memorize it when we can just Google it? Right. We, we need to know how to think and discern. Yes. We need yes. to know how to research and we need to know how to how to do critical thinking. That's what that's what they need. And of course, that's the hardest thing to teach because it's so it labor it's labor intensive. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what's not being taught in schools right now. Uh, You're very, right. Very little critical thinking. And yet that's the key. That's going to be one of the key, key, key skills of the in the up, up, upcoming decades. So you got a, you got any critical thinking courses that are you're lining up? <laughs> <laughs> we have to run our listener to see what people want around <laughs> critical thinking courses. <laughs> yeah. that, that's interesting. So what, yeah. what's unique about you that you bring to the table for Coursera, Horus rather? I think I approach the game like it's the first time I played it every day. That's what I strive for. And I think that today as an entrepreneur, so I had a I had an opportunity. I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, I, I'm, I'm a huge Laker fan. And uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to do something that Phil Jackson was a part of. And asking the question, you know, what is it? What is it that makes a difference between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. So back then, like number one, maybe number one, number two that ever played the game and everybody else. And his answer was really quick. And it was Shoshin. It's one word. Shoshin. S-H-O-S-H-I-N. Japanese. It's a, word, it's a word that's used in Buddhism all the time. And Shoshin means this. Beginner's mind. Ah. And he said that every single day when those guys stepped on the court, they were different than anyone else I ever saw play. He said, because they approached it like it was the first time they ever played the game. As a result, because they were willing to do that, they were able to see things and make distinctions that nobody else could make, the little things, right? And so I think that that really applies today. I think as, as, as you know, as, as entrepreneurs, I think that, um, you know, and business people, just anyone today, with the world changing as fast as it is now and it's going to be over the next 10 years, we have to have the openness to look at things completely open and be able to forget everything that we learned yesterday because it's different today. That's right. And, and, and I really think that the skill that's going to be gold over the next 10 years is our ability to adapt. And and I absolutely agree. And I'm surprised I didn't recognize Shushin, the beginner's mind, because that's that's a philosophy that, that I embody every day. Every day mm. I'm learning something new. If I'm not a beginner at something, I'm always a beginner at something. Yeah. Even even if it's something like I play jazz violin, I'm always a beginner at jazz violin. Mm. There's always something new to learn. Yeah. Um, but what I have found as a teacher and, a, and an educator, and I, I've taught, I'm a level three certified ski instructor. I'm a secondary black belt. So I've taught skiing, martial arts. I've taught law. You know, I've wow. taught I've taught in graduate psychology programs to PhD students. So I've done a lot of teaching. And mm. what I have found is that a, there are many adults who are afraid of learning. Oh, yeah. They're afraid. They're, they, yeah. they have a training capacity. This is from Thorsten Veblen, you know, a philosopher back in the mm. beginning of the 20th century. We mm. have a training capacity. We learn our expertise, our professional expertise. And if we go outside the guardrails, 
Yeah. That's bad. And and so people are unwilling to be incompetent. Yes. The period of time it takes to develop competence because it's afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's something that people are going to have to overcome because, I mean, I've reinvented myself probably four or five times in, in my life. And yeah. I think people are going to be start reinventing themselves every decade, if not more often. So I just read something a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was that the, the, the average man in the United States 100 years ago in 1923 lived to be 53 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm 53. That freaks me out. Now, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Maybe back then being good at one thing was good enough. Yeah. And that's, what's hard is that, is that we've gone from, it seems like in just a generation or two from one thing being good enough to now all of a sudden we need to reinvent ourselves four times in our lives or five times or whatever it is. Yeah. That's I think that's going to be the big challenge for young people coming up. And so the educational system has to teach them how to teach themselves. Mm. So they can learn, they can be their lifelong learners and they have to learn how to learn. And they have, they have to, to learn, learn how to learn to jump into something they've never seen before and say, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. I know. I just know. I know how to learn. I know what it's going to take. I'm going to put the effort in to get it done. And everyone will have access to the tools that they need. That's right. Because of technology. Everyone will have access to quick data, but it doesn't matter if you don't learn how to learn. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. Think that's, the, that's the big thing. And I think that's the point your daughters were making. Why do I have to memorize? I can look stuff up. I need to learn how to learn. Well, yeah. And then, and then in the school, I mean, you look at it, you know, just t- you know, 10, 15 years ago, none of the schools around here allowed you to bring a calculator to class. Right. Now, now they're trying to have kids not use chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what what my 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 14 year old she's really entrepreneurial and we were talking not that long ago and and she was she was telling me she was frustrated with something in one of her classes and how kids were getting in trouble getting in trouble and it was because they had started on their phones to use chat gpt oh wow for things in in class and in can you imagine what a, like a threat or a change that is to the teacher Oh yeah. But how do you how do you how do you reorganize the way how do you learn to learn or learn to, to, to teach in a way that actually uses those tools? I think I think we could spend hours on this one, but yeah, <laughs> we don't have a lot more time. But I'll just give you my quick hit on that. Yeah. That's where critical thinking comes in because I learned mm-hmm. that you get you get what you ask for. Mm-hmm. And with ChatGTP, you learn how to ask the really interesting questions. You learn how to then refine the questions with the data that you get back and you've got to think about, is this the answer that I really want? How can I make this better? What's the next inquiry I can make to get the better result? It's the human brain optimizing the result it's getting from JATP. That's high-level critical thinking. So if I were a teacher, that's what I would be doing. Let's, I would say, let's be using chat GPT. And then I would be t- taking my students on topics that they don't know anything about. Mm, yeah. I would say something like, all right, I want you to all go into your computers and chat GPT. And I want you to give me a, see if you can get me a thousand word essay on quantum mechanics. Yeah. Now we start refining it. Yeah. And, 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 you, and they don't know anything about quantum mechanics. But then by the end of the class, 
not only do they know something a lot about quantum mechanics, they also have learned how to refine the inquiry to yeah. get their answers. That's how I would use it. You know, if if you're if anyone who's listening is looking for a new career, speaking <laughs> of what you're talking about, asking the right questions. So one of the highest paying new jobs created as a result of AI in the last six months is, is a prompt engineer. Wow. A prompt engineer is the person that is the best at asking it questions. That's your job. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, when I was a trial lawyer, that was my job. Ask questions. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Maybe... So you would be the perfect candidate to become a prompt engineer. There you go. I'd rather, <laughs> te I'd rather teach prompt engineers. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I well, Scott, get this it. has been a great conversation. We're, we're at the end. I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. If, if, the, if, what is one thing about you yeah. that we would never know about unless you revealed it to us? Whew. How about when I worked for Tony Robbins, I did a 37 foot fire walk across hot coals. Holy moly. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and survived. And survived. Yeah. Didn't get burned. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Scott. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.